everyone and welcome to this episode of Talking It Out About. This week I am joined by the lovely Matthew, so welcome Matthew. Oh, hello, thank you, thank you for having me. Well, thanks for coming on. So it's actually a bit of a funny one this time because you were the reason I got into podcasting. So I have to thank you first of all um, because I came on your podcast. Yeah, that's a, a many moon ago, but yeah, that was uh, many, yeah. many, many moons ago. Um, yeah. And you're actually the whole reason this this podcast even began. So you oh, inspired wow. me to do it. So thank you very much. Well, thank you. That's uh, quite a privilege. That. <laughs> well, hopefully it might be a little bit weird, actually, because obviously last time we spoke, you interviewed me and now I'm kind of interviewing you. So we'll try yeah. and get, get my head around that one this time. Um, so, yeah, I was I had a really good question then. I've already forgotten. That's a sign of good podcast to come, isn't it? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> me. Oh, God. Um, how about we start right back at the beginning, Matthew? And would you um, mind just sharing a little bit about your story, FMD? And anything you're happy to share? Yeah, so um, I was diagnosed in May 2019. Um, the the story is like many others. Um, I was at work, just working away, had a bit of a migraine. Uh, the migraine turned a bit worse, so I came home early, um, and then through the night, I just got worse and worse. Ended up being taken into hospital. Thought I had a stroke. Mm. Spent uh, nearly three weeks in hospital. And it was just by luck that one of the local hospitals to me, so not my hospital, but another one close to me, they have a they have a neurologist centre, so they have quite a lot of neurologists there. And luckily, one of them was in one day and was looking over my notes and could tell me exactly what was wrong with me. Mm. Uh, it was an absolute relief, uh, to say the least. So, yeah, that's that's when I got diagnosed. That's how I got diagnosed. Yeah. So it sounds like whilst you had the three weeks in hospital actually it sounds like it could have been quite quick yes yeah, so i mean i've been quite lucky compared to a lot of others you know i hear a lot of stories nowadays where a lot of people are you know oh it's been going on for years or no one knows or people are just giving me a possible diagnosis hmm. but for me it was was very quick now i've had symptoms before back in 2015 hmm. they seemed to have died down but then they flared back up again yeah so i to be honest been quite lucky it, it's i think it's one of those things like i i've as as you have i'm sure like you hear so many people's different stories and the the main theme tends to be like oh it's taken me like over a year to get a diagnosis and then again it's only possible mm. and then are oh, they diagnosing with ms or this or that and and it turns out to be fnd so it's nice to hear that there are people who were diagnosed quite quickly um yeah it's not always a long process yeah, I said this many times. I do think sometimes it comes, you know, like most things, comes down to a bit of a postcode lottery to where you are in the country to what yeah, completely. diagnosis you get. Completely, and how quickly you can access those services and then what happens after diagnosis. Because I yeah. think that's the, the other sticking point, isn't it? That yeah. whilst, yes, you can have the diagnosis and that can be quite quick or it can take forever, but if we're going under your circumstances, you can get diagnosis really quickly, but if actually then you're in that postcode lottery of there aren't the services in your area or there is but there's a really long waiting list to get on them yeah it then drags that process out doesn't it yeah so i mean in terms of services afterwards i was i was again very lucky so i was discharged home with the home discharge team mm. so i had a, I had a physiotherapist an occupational therapist and a support worker who came home with me who stayed with me for about four months in okay. total so I was kind of lucky in that aspect. 
And then once I was discharged from them, I was I then had a, a speech therapist, a physio yeah. in the community who came to the house, hmm. um, an occupational therapist, and again, a new support worker. So I was really lucky in that, that aspect. And the yeah. only reason... I had a lot of I had a lot of um, people coming in, and the only reason mine stopped was due to COVID. So COVID yeah. happened in the new year, and then that was it. Everybody stopped coming around. Yeah, and and that kind of that knock on effect, I think, has been felt across well everywhere, hasn't it? Like, yeah. you, it's it was completely out of control, and it's it's one of those things. Unfortunately, did put a stop to those sorts of services. So you said you had a did you call it a home support worker or a support worker? Yeah, support worker. Yeah. Would you mind just sharing a bit more about what they did? Because it's not something that I've actually come across yet. Um, so I'd just be interested to know what they, their role was. So a support worker was, um, it's very much like a personal assistant or a carer that you get in the community now. Okay. So they're just provided to you via the hospital. Oh, okay. So as part of a home discharge team, that's, it, that's what they did. So they managed to either take me out or help me cook food or help me with personal care. Things yeah. like that. So that, that's what their role was. So they helped kind of maintain a level of independence for you? Yeah. Which always got to be really, like, I know when I was really bad, like, I didn't really have any independence because I just couldn't work out how to do anything. It's, it's really mm-hmm. hard when you're independent, something gets taken from you. So it yeah. must have been nice to have had that, that comeback in a sense. Maybe not. Yeah, the I mean, I did struggle a bit because I went from, you know, I was a 20-odd-year-old man who just... Had a full time job, got the kids, mm. you know, my wife. I, I just going about my daily tasks, doing everything I'd normally do, picking the kids up, bringing them home, playing with them, you know, cooking teas and stuff like that. So everyday things, yeah, that we all take for granted. Yeah, all just got taken away off me overnight, and it was just horrific. Yeah, I think that's the thing, isn't it? Like, there's that. Some people have the sudden like that was half a sentence. Sorry, some people have that sudden onset of symptoms and it strips everything back mm-hmm. um like it sounds like you had and it's it's kind of what I had and then you have people that kind of it's a gradual thing over time I yeah. don't know which one is worse because they both they're both so hard and they're both so horrible you both you get something taken from you in each one um and it's just so incredibly difficult how did you deal with that change um, how did I deal with the change? So to begin with, once I'd spoken to the neurologist and he kind of explained the you know all the symptoms and, and what it was and things like that, I kind of understood and I was like, oh, that makes sense now. Mm. Um, things like that. Um, but over time, over the period of time, I didn't deal with it. I didn't accept it. Yeah. And and I really suffered, um, mm. both physically and mentally with that. Yeah. Um, and that was a real struggle for me. Mm. But um, I've accepted it now. I think over time, it's kind of become the new normal, if you like. Yeah, yeah, and no, that's what that's really. what it is. I think that um, I know when I was first diagnosed, they were like, "Oh, you have to accept it," and I was like, um, "I don't think I want to accept it right now." Like yeah. you, you've literally my life has completely turned on its head. I haven't got a scoop of what's going on, and you're telling me to accept this diagnosis and just kind of move on with it. I'm not quite ready to do that yet. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Like it feels like such a big thing, and it's it's something I've spoken to lots of people about, and like, oh, have you accepted it and things like that? It always seems to come back to that. But I know I found it so incredibly hard to do. Yeah, because you're like, well, my life has completely changed. I've gone from this, and now I can't do any of that, or I can, but it's in very small doses, and 
like it's so very different um did you get angry with it yes I got angry with myself more than anything else um because I couldn't do the things that I wanted to do Mm. I couldn't help the people that I wanted to help and I relied on everybody else so much yeah over the time that I felt like a lot of my own independence was taken away from me yeah uh yeah I'm this might sound like a really weird question and I'm sorry for that did you were you able to show your anger um not really what what tend to happen was I ended up building all the emotions up mm. and I built them all up inside and hid them from everybody yeah and that's where it all went wrong for me yeah is it I guess it's that bottling up because you're you're processing it aren't aren't you like you're learning you're managing what's going on inside of you and you kind of just keep it all in because you're like I think the thing that often comes up is you feel like a burden or you feel like you're putting too much on other people yeah and that kind of enforces that need to keep everything inside doesn't it yeah of course it does yeah I think that um that that need to not not show the emotion um the harder thing is is being a male Mm. so you know I haven't come across a whole deal of males with FND or mm. people who accept that they've got FND who are males. Mm. And it's, it's, it's very hard to have everything and have it taken away and then accept that and then not show and, and then show emotion on it on top of it. It's very yeah. difficult for someone to show. Yeah. Do you think that the, the kind of the being, the male, being a male made you feel like you couldn't show it a bit more? Yeah, because there's a lot of stigma around it, isn't there? Um, yeah. I, have a, I have a very different opinion on it now, but then mm. I know that you know it was very. You're the man. You should be. You should be providing for the family. You should be the strong one of everybody else, and that was really difficult for me to accept. Yeah, no, I I get that. I I get it's it's such a difficult thing, just generally to go through, but then to feel like you can't show the emotion to be able to like process it in part yeah just make it 10 times harder um to be able to do and I take my hat off to you because I follow you on Twitter like I've seen parts of your journey and things like that and I take my hat off to you because you have been honest and you you have shown that emotion and I'm sure that was incredibly difficult to do um so well done you thank you yeah it's had its moments and it has been difficult (laughs) yeah and um you know I suffered quite badly mentally um, mm. with, with with the whole process. Yeah. Um, and I, I had this conversation not so long ago with somebody else saying that if I hadn't had FND, mm. then I don't think I would have had the mental health issues that I've had. Yeah. Would you, are you happy to share a bit about the mental health issues that you, you did have? Yeah, so I'll break it, I'll break it down into two lots. Um, so I had, I had two bouts of really bad mental health issues. Mm. First came quite suddenly after my, my my diagnosis. Yeah. Like I said before, I went out from being, you know, out with all my friends, being a dad, being a husband and all that aspect mm. to having all that taken away from me, not yeah. being able to go out, not being able to see people, things like that. So around Christmas time of 2019, I really struggled. I was in a home a lot of the period of time of the day on my own. Yeah. My wife's a teacher, so she goes out very early in the morning. She's not back till late. The kids were in nursery, so they were out all day. Yeah. So I spent a lot of time on my own, a lot of time on my own thoughts. Mm. 
and I got into a dark place, into a place that I didn't really want to be. Yeah. And, you know, I don't wish I'm a worst enemy. It was really bad. Mm. And it got it's a funny a funny story, if you like, from it was that, you know, I can look back on it now and, and sort of giggle on it, was mm. that one day my wife came home. I was wrapped up in a blanket, holding a loaf of bread, telling her it was my baby. Oh, now, that was my a bit of psychosis coming through and yeah. me not dealing with things very well. Mm. And that was the time that I needed to get some help. Yeah. I managed to reach out to the right kind of people and get some um, CBT training and some one-to-one counselling. And that mm. seemed to help at the time, which was really good. Mm. So then we fly. So then I, got, I sort of got back on top of it, got some new medication from the doctor, um, which seemed to really help. Mm. And that helped with sleep and it helped with my mood, which re- really sort of perks me up. Mm. Then we sort of flash forward to sort of the back end of 2020. Yeah. Um, into 2021. And I noticed things weren't going right. And I noticed in myself, I wasn't feeling very good. I wasn't feeling very motivated. Yeah. wasn't feeling like I wanted to do things. And that started playing on my mind a bit more. Obviously, by this time, COVID was sort of relaxing a bit. My wife was back at work. Yeah. And the kids were back at school. Everybody was going on with their daily lives. And I was still stuck indoors on my own by myself. Mm. A lot of time with my own thoughts. And I just, to try and explain, I, I just kind of felt, like I wasn't good enough, like I wasn't doing my part. Yeah. And that really stuck at me. And instead of me sort of shaking it off and, you know, getting the right kind of help and speaking to the right kind of people, I bottled that I bottled that emotion up mm. and I kept it to myself and didn't speak to anybody about it. So, um, and that went on for a few months. That must have been incredibly difficult to have kept all of that inside when you're feeling that way. Yeah, I mean... It, Looking back on it now, it was the wrong thing to do. And I, I really did. I struggled. I struggled really hard. Mm. And I kind of felt that I didn't, I already felt a burden on my family. Yeah. And I felt at the time, by speaking about these issues to them, I would be adding to their burden. I'd be adding more stress to their lives. My wife was very stressed at work. The kids were, you know, in a good place. And I didn't want to sort of mess that up. Yeah. And I went into a sort of a black hole so far down that I couldn't find a way back out. It was so dark, I couldn't find the light. Yeah. And how it goes is I just very, very openly, one one Sunday evening, was having a Sunday dinner, having our tea, and I just said to my wife, I don't want to be here anymore. Um, I I can't can't deal with it. She was like, at first she was a bit like, you know what, you're you're leaving, where are you going? (laughs) I kind of said to her, no, I said, look, I said, I'll be honest, I don't feel like I can live here anymore. I can I can live in this life anymore. I can't I can't do it. You deserve better, the kids deserve better. And yeah. I can't I can't cope with this anymore. And then she sat down with me very very openly, very supportive, and was like, Right, we need to get some kind of help. We need to speak to somebody. Let's bring the GP on Monday. Let's find out what, what sort of help we can get. She took a few days off work to help me. Mm. She rang the GP and spoke to them, got the crisis team involved. Somebody came to see me. And I got some help initially. There was like sort of people coming in, checking on me, making sure I'm okay while my wife was at work. 
Um, but unfortunately for me, that that didn't that didn't quite cut it. That didn't quite help. Mm. And one thing led to another. Um, I had some really serious bad thoughts and, and things that you know you shouldn't really be having, mm. even on the medication that was on. And I felt I got to a point of where I felt I couldn't keep myself safe at home anymore. Yeah, I couldn't keep myself safe around my family. Yeah. So I, I said to my wife, "So look, I'm really sorry, but I need some extra support so I can be here for you and the girls. I need something extra than what I'm getting now, and I can't be at home. To, and I can't be at home to do it. Unfortunately, I can't. I can't stay. Can't stay here to do that. Yeah. So I took myself to my local A and E department and explained to them what was going on. They took me to a secure location, and then I managed to get. Luckily for me, I managed to get somewhere local into a secure unit. So I was still able to see my family when they wanted to come and see me. Um, they didn't have to travel very far. And I got somewhere that was safe, somewhere people could look after me. Yeah. And I got the right sort of help. I got a consultant on board who could provide me with the right information, give me the right medication that I needed. Mm. I was having a lot of problems with psychosis. I was hearing voices. I was seeing things. Yeah. It just wasn't a good place for me. So mm. I managed to get the right kind of help. And I did document that and I did talk about it. Mm. And now looking back, I feel like that was the right thing for me to do at that time. And I feel like this stigma around men and mental health, it's its a silly stigma to have. Mm. People, Everybody's a human being. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. Everyone needs yeah. help now, now and again. Everyone needs that, that support. And everybody's got a right to ask for that help and ask for that support. Yeah, no, completely. I, I think it's such a it is it's such a weird thing that there seems to be this idea that men can't show emotion, they can't ask for help. But like I say, we are all human at some point we all need help and that's okay to ask for. Mm. Um and I I take my hat off to you for for doing that and for knowing that you needed help and, and being able to voice that. Um, yeah. and getting the help that you needed when you needed it and I'm really glad that that you were able to get that support and that you are still with us because you do so much for the FND community and I'm sure you do so much for your family that I'm really glad that you got that help so you could continue to be that person that we know you are um would you mind talking a little bit about what it was like in the secure unit? I know you I know you shared some stuff um, on Twitter as you were going yeah. through it, but just for those who maybe don't follow you on Twitter, who didn't yeah, see um, The aspect, the beginning of it, when I first went in, was probably the scariest place I think I've ever been. Yeah. Um, it, it's, not like, it's not like a prison, so you're not locked up 24-7, but when you first get there, you are. You're locked up in a room. Yeah. Be strippy of everything, so you're not allowed anything. Mm. I wasn't even allowed a phone wire to charge my phone yeah. to speak to my wife. I, I wasn't allowed shoelaces, mm. things like that. He took clothing off me that had ribbon in, so like I had a hoodie on that's got a ribbon over the hood. It, it yeah. took that off me. So they're literally strippy of everything until until they get to know who you are and have read your notes and sort of see what aspects of, of help you need. Yeah. They take everything away from you, so you don't have the temptation to do anything. Yeah, the rooms themselves are quite a basic room. It's got a bed. Um, it's got a TV that's that's put behind perspex glass. Yeah. Um, you have a chair. You have a shower, but it's all the showers built into the wall, so you can't 
there's nothing you can harm yourself on. Even yeah. the shower curtain is on pulleys, so once if you pulled on it, on the shower curtain, it just fall down. The shower oh. curtain to come down. Gosh, okay. So it's quite a it's quite a daunting experience because you're going from you know living at home, you know having them home comforts to everything gets taken away from you. Yeah. And it's like that for the first few days, just while they get to know you. You know, you can give them your phone; they can charge your phone for you. Um, but that means you know you sat in a room with a very basic TV. It's got no Sky or anything like that. It's just a basic <laughs> terrestrial yeah. TV that's got channels one to five on it. Yeah. Um, and if you if you're anything like me, you'll put the telly on during the day and you'll go, "What is this? What is this? <laughs> what am I watching? Nothing Why, on is, it? Why is, is that it on TV?" <laughs> yeah. So um, you know you're very basic. So you've got a lot of time to think on yourself. Um, which is good for some people, and is good, and it isn't good for other people. And I was on what was called a fifteen-minute check, so I'd have somebody check me every fifteen minutes in the day, night, and day. So they to come in in the night time, shine a light in your room, make sure you're okay. You know, which can be quite disturbing. You know, especially if you try to get some sleep. Yeah. So that happens for a few days. So they get to know you, get to speak to the consultant, get sort of a risk assessment done on you, and see what it's like. And then it's just like, once you've done all that, I was allowed things like my phone charger. Um, I was allowed some clothing back. The things that, you know, because it wasn't, it didn't put me at a high risk. So <laughs> I wasn't going to hurt myself with any of my personal belongings, which was good. Hmm. And then there's, in, in the, so where I was, in, in the place I was, there was two sides to it. There's a male side and a female side. So we weren't allowed to mix. Hmm. Male side and female side. And I think there was like eight rooms per side and um, they did daily activities. So they'd have activities on in the day. Mm. So that tried to encourage you to get involved with other people. Yeah. Had a meals area where you have meals. So you get three set meals a day. So you eat your breakfast, your lunch and your, and your dinner every day. Mm. Um, you're allowed to go out. If the consultant had said, yes, you're allowed to go out, you was able to leave, but you have to leave with somebody else. So one of the staff had to go with you. You weren't allowed to leave on your own. Yeah. You weren't allowed to go to the nice things. Like, you weren't allowed to go out to go to the pub. <laughs> you weren't allowed to drink. You weren't allowed you weren't to do any of that. Any no. of that fun stuff, no? No, none, none of that stuff that everybody enjoys. You weren't allowed to do that. <laughs> it was just their rules, I suppose, which is fair enough. Yeah. Um, there, was a, there was an area where you could exercise outside. But the good thing was it was, it was a secure unit. It's scary. Because there's a lot of different type of people in there. Yeah. So there's your average Joe blogs like myself, mm -hmm. who was struggling mentally and wasn't dealing very well, was a risk to myself, and I had to have people watching me, and I had to have, you know, certain checks done and certain medications taken on time and things like that, which was good for me. Yeah. But then the other end of the spectrum was the people who were dealing with really bad psychosis. Yeah. would be screaming at one, two, three, four, five, five o'clock in the morning. Mm. Um, which is a shame, really, because obviously they can't help it. They've got, they've got mental health, they've got mental health illness. Yeah. They can't help that. And they have two opposite ends. So, you know, there was people who were on 24-hour watch. There was literally a member of staff with them 24 hours a day. They literally couldn't go to the toilet on their own. It was, you know, they were that severe. So it was you got two sort of ends of the spectrum. I, I met some people in there and they're still my friends today. I still speak to them today. Oh, um, that, that's nice that, like, you've been, like, 
you've maintained that contact. Mm. Well, you spend you were spending twenty four seven with these people, and I was in there for six weeks. I was in there for and six weeks for twenty four hours a day, seven days a week. It's a long time, so you try yeah. to get to know people. Yeah. Um, now, for the first few weeks, I was very much seclusive. I was, I was on my own. I didn't really want to speak to anybody. I didn't want to really do anything. Yeah. I refused to see the family. I didn't want to, you know, see anybody. And you also got to remember, at this time, COVID was still around. Mm. So COVID was one of them things where it was it was around and there were certain aspects where, because it's classed as a hospital environment, certain people, you know, you were allowed visitors at certain times. You had to yeah. be, you know, in a certain place and everybody had to be certain, do this and do that. Mm. Very much, very big high COVID rules. Yeah. I was lucky enough that, I mean, I spent my birthday in there, but I was lucky enough to be allowed leave for my birthday as long as I was with somebody else. Yeah. So I had to go out and I, I went out to for something to eat with one of my friends. But it's it's weird because that aspect of going with somebody that you're friends with and then having somebody else with you, it's like going on a date <laughs> and having somebody else with you. It's a bit weird. Just just third wheeling. <laughs> yeah, third wheeling all the way. It was a bit bit weird. <laughs> but I did it, do you know what I mean? And that, that's that's what was good. And I managed to see me my wife and my girls. They they allowed them to come in and see me which was amazing. It did me the world of good, that. Just to see them for half an hour was amazing. They gave me pictures and cards. It was great. Yeah. It was brilliant. It kept your spirits up. Yeah, definitely. In a way, like mm. having that contact from home and, and being able to see them and kind of talk to them, I guess it was just, it was a nice cherry on top. Yeah, yeah, definitely. If that makes sense. I don't mean yeah. to like trivialise that. Sorry, that, that in no, my head that's is fine. far better than it actually probably came yeah. out. Sorry. No, that's all right. <laughs> is, is there any specific questions on the secure units that you've got? Anything think, specifically you want to know? I think it's just, I don't, like you said, like men showing emotion and things like that. I feel like it's such a, a subject that needs to be spoken about but isn't. And I just feel like for those people who are listening who have no idea what a secure unit is and how it runs and things like that uh, it would be i guess i'm trying to what, what's the word i want if someone ends up in the position where they need to go into a secure unit i if they've heard this then maybe they'll have an idea of what to expect and yeah i mean be as as scary I'm, i know that it must be scary but at least then they might know roughly kind of what's going to happen yeah if that makes don't get sense. me wrong. The, the beginning, the beginning section of it is scary. It is. Yeah. It, I don't want to lie to anybody. I don't want anybody to think that I've lied to them about it. The, the, the mm. initial going in is scary, mm. but the overall experience and and what I gained from being in there was far valuable, more valuable than having something in the community. So yeah. it it was it was worth it. And you do meet people who are very like minded like you in them places. Mm. And you do make friends with people. Yeah. You do speak to other people, you know, and the range of ages, you know, there was a young lad in there. There was a chap who was in his, his 60s. You know, there was a massive range of people who mm. were in there. You get to meet all these different people. And it is the best place for somebody. Don't be scared. If you need to go into somewhere like that, try not to be, to be too scared about it. You're going to be yeah. scared at the beginning about it. You are. That's just how it is. Yeah, but it's not like it's a prison for the mental health for the mental mental mentally help people. 
It's yeah. not like that at all. It's, it's nothing like it was in the 80s. People in white jackets don't come and take you away. Mm. Nothing like that at all. It's very friendly, very nice, and you get a lot of help and support. So you said, you mentioned that there were daily activities to try and pull you out of your room to like get you to yeah. engage with other people. Um, what other things did they have that kind of supported you, kind of, I don't know how to phrase it, supported you in the process of feeling better so the, the activities that, that partake in there were things like uh, art classes so they had someone come in and do some art with you and mm-hmm. um, so you, there was a table tennis set so you could do table tennis mm-hmm. they had quiz nights so there was a night where they did like music quiz or just a general knowledge quiz and mm-hmm. um, there was movie nights so they put a movie on for everybody you got some popcorn and you just get to be able to sit there and watch a film mm-hmm. with everybody else um, there was a whole range of activities. The only way I can describe it to you is: think of a holiday club when you go abroad, mm. like that, but somewhere here. <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> okay, uh, interest. Okay, right. Yeah, I can, I can picture that. Okay, and in terms of um, like CBT or anything like that, was that something that also happened in there? Yeah. So you're offered, you're offered a range of different therapies. Whether that was CBT, whether that was uh, Reiki, whether that was um, massage, whether that was um, the guru experts that came in, there's a whole range of, of things that can be offered to you. And what's really good is is that always they're not there to support you. That sounds wrong. When I say they're not there to support you long term, it's not what I mean. It's the idea of being in there is to get you home. Yeah. To get you into a into a place where you're able to go home. And they provide you with all the help you need while you're in there and then some. So they give you the enough ability to be able to take things home. Mm. You can do it at home yourself. But they also allow for, um, you know, they set you up with certain people. Like for me, when I was when I was in there, they suggested that I have a social worker. Mm. Now, again, that word social worker sounds quite daunting. Mm. And I was a bit like, oh, I don't really want a social worker. That sounds a bit, you know, like I've got a, I've got a problem and I need somebody to look after me kind of thing. Mm. Um, and my social worker is amazing. She's done loads for me. Mm. Um, to today where I, I manage, I have carers five days a week. So I sort of organise that for me. That mm. helps with both my mental health and my FND. Mm. So she managed to get things put in the house that I need for my FND, which is mm. great. Absolutely fantastic. So, you know, they do all kinds of different, they set you up with all kinds of stuff from certain people, which is great. They help you sort of apply for benefits, apply for loans and things like that that you might need to help yeah. you secure your places when you get outside, on the outside, and when you, you come back out onto normal life. Yeah. But I, and I think it's it's things like like that where when you do think of a secure unit, you ha- you do have this idea of like a prison, like you said. Mm-hmm. And I think actually, by the sound, it's not like that at all. There's so much that's being offered; it's a completely different reality to what you might imagine it to be. Um, I think everyone has in their mind a um, they they think of a secure unit as a certain thing, and maybe this is because of films or because of how it used to be. Yeah, you know, it used to be you see films that. You're a secure unit, you're tied to a bed, you're in a room, you don't get to do anything for 24 hours a day. Yeah. It, it's not that. It's not like that. I had a very big stigma when I when they first when they first 
came to me and they first put, sat down the crisis team. They said, we think you'd be best going to a secure unit. That was their, their option. They said, that, that's what we think we should do with you. And I was like, no, no way. Straight yeah. off the bat, I was like, I'm not doing that. And then I said to my wife, do not put me in there. Do not get somebody in a white jacket to come up, stab me in the arm, put me to sleep and throw me in the back of a van. Don't yeah. do it. Yeah. That's the kind of idea that people have of, of mm. going to secure unit. But it's not like that at all. I was yeah. allowed to make my own way to secure unit. I went when I felt was the right time for me to go. And I got the help that I needed while I was in there by the yeah. right kind of people who were very nice. Yeah. I, I think it's it's having these conversations that just help shed a bit of light on the actual reality of it. I think yeah. there's so many ideas about what places are like and oh, it's really bad and it means this and it means that. But actually being able to have the conversation and people hear it in your tone of voice and they can hear how you're expressing it and all this stuff just helps that little bit to break that misconception about what it is. Yeah. Um, and that's that's the power of the, these sorts of conversations is that you, you don't know where you're going to end up, but mm. you're able to kind of discuss things that maybe aren't discussed because you're not meant to or society thinks you know it's a bit uncouth you shouldn't do that like all that sort of stuff actually there's no reason not to talk about it I think there's so much benefit to be had from having these conversations so thank you so much for sharing that with with us um it's really appreciated and now I have a better understanding because I was I was wrong about what that meant um so you've I've, I've learned something I'm, I'm really glad that we've been able to have that conversation and I can take that away and understand it a bit better yeah that's good as long as, long as somebody's educated from it that's that's great well you you have educated me um so thank you very much I really appreciate it um so just to kind of we'll move away from that for now um so you're volunteering you you do so much for the FMD community I wondered if you wanted to share a bit about what you're currently up to if there's any amazing exciting plans in the works anything like that yeah so um I currently volunteer for FMD Action mm-hmm. so I am a support coordinator for them um and I do a lot of their digital marketing media as well yeah so that came about just by a conversation I had with Kim who's the CEO of um and the board or the board of directors for FND Action. Yeah. Uh, like I say, I was, I'm, I'm very prolific on Twitter and I posted a lot and I was talking to lots of people. And I just kind of said, I messaged her and said, Look, I said, I've got all this free time and I want to do something with it. I, you yeah. know, I, I kind of feel like that I should be giving back. Hmm. Um, I'm quite knowledgeable about, about FND um, from my own processes and from my own research about yeah. my own experiences. You know, would you like some help? Yeah. And they were like, great. They sort of jumped at the chance and was like, it's hard to come across, you know, volunteers that, you know, can spend a bit of time with us and help. So I now support coordinator. And what that involves for me is I, first and foremost, I look after all the other volunteers that volunteer for F&D Action. So I keep in contact with them, keep up to date with them, make sure they're doing okay, if there's anything we can support them with. Mm-hmm. I also process new volunteers. So anyone who signs up to volunteer online, you'll get an email from me just introducing myself and sort of saying, you know, this is a sort of list of things that we like to do mm-hmm. uh, with our volunteers. Is there anything that sort of sticks out that you would be interested in doing? And they yeah. range from anything from helping out with the Facebook page, the Twitter page, to admin, to work in the office. You know, there's a wide range of volunteering options that are available to mm-hmm. do that. Now, in terms of what are we doing? So, 
We've got a new YouTube channel starting soon. So we've been working really hard on the YouTube channel. So digital media is is the new thing. It's a 21st century thing. So we've managed to compile a lot of videos. A lot of people very much like this, just talking about their experiences and what they've done and what kind of things that have happened to them in within time. Yeah. So we might compile a lot of videos for that and we'll be working on getting that sorted and published in the new year. Yeah. So we're working on um, F&D Awareness Day with other charities as well. Mm-hmm. So we've got some exciting things happening for F&D Awareness Day this year. Oh, next Ooh. year, sorry. Do, um, can, you, can you give us a little clue or not? I can't at this moment. No! Um, I can't, sorry. Yeah. Oh, no. uh, not right now. Um, it's all under wraps. Um, okay. That's how it'll be uh, at this, at, just at this stage. One thing I would like to share is we are looking to do um, coffee mornings, online coffee mornings. Wonderful. So that's going to be involving myself and a couple of the other volunteers where we're going to be able to do a coffee morning sort of on Zoom, sort of speak to everybody. Again, similar to this. Um, just sort of talking about F&D things, things that you can get help with, whether that's through, you know, the social services, whether that's through um, volunteering or whether you just want to sit there and have a chat with somebody. Yeah. You know, it's it, the opportunity is there. Yeah. We are looking into a big meetup. Ooh. So that's something that's uh, in the pipeline. I won't say any more than that. Okay. Um, I, I love that you're giving us a little like tidbits to get to kind of get people excited. Like I now want to know. I'm imme- I'm immediately like, I want to know it all. Please tell me everything. <laughs> yeah. Well, if I could, I would, but I'm telling you now, keep an eye on the Twitter um, and the Facebook page. That's where a lot of things will be happening. Uh, our latest campaign went through the roof, which is great. So the latest campaign we did was called Inform the Doctor. Yes, with Tom. Yes, with Tom. So um Tom's one of the board directors for FD Action, and he's brilliant. He's it, it, what he does is is fantastic, and his ability to be able to speak in front of camera, things like that, is is amazing. Yeah. So he helped us massively with the Inform the Doctor campaign. We built all that up. We did all the infographics for that. Built all the paperwork behind it, mm. and I was really happy to be involved in that. Mm. And we had an amazing response from loads of people sending letters out to doctors, which is exactly what we wanted. Yeah. That was really, really good. Um, and we're going to have more campaigns just like that coming up around the corner. Again, oh, when when we can tell you more information, we will. Um, yeah, that's fine. I, I'm accepting that I, we cannot share at all. That is okay. <laughs> some of these, I mean, some of these things that happen, we, we've, we've been planning them now, and they might not happen for 12 months. That's yeah. how far ahead we have to plan for these things to happen. So, you know, it's, it's all about getting there where we want to be. At the right time, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, no, completely. And I think thing things like this take time, and they take so much effort, and there's so much that happens behind behind the scenes, if you like. Yeah. Um, but it's all very much appreciated, and like the Inform the Doctor one was such an amazing campaign. I know I spoke to Tom about it um, on one of the podcasts, and it, it was it was such an amazing thing to see so many people engaging with it and it going out to doctors and being just spread out across everything yeah um so well done to you guys because it was really it was really amazing um so yeah but hopefully the the new ones will be just as amazing 
um and we can't wait to hear all about them when they're allowed to be shared with us yeah yeah i'm i'm sure that the community will get very excited when we start pumping these things out 2023 for fnd action is going to be a big year so we've got a lot of things happening over the course of 2023 and you know all i'm going to say is keep your eyes on the facebook keep your eyes on the twitter because it's just going to be huge um I'm really excited about what we're going to bring in for the community. Like I say, a lot of work is done behind the scenes. Yeah. Because I don't think a lot of people know about that, you know, all this work goes on behind the scenes. Yeah. And poor Kim, she works her socks off to get these things sorted yeah. um, and get, get things off the ground. And yeah. the board do an amazing job. So, you know, we're really appreciative of all them. <laughs> Yeah, no, completely. And I think I was going to say, oh, 2023 is so far away. And I was like, it's actually like a couple of weeks away. <laughs> it's not not far away at all. Yeah, it's, it's not, only a few weeks. In, yeah. in my head, I was like, oh, but that's like at least another year away. I'm like, wait, we're in December. Yeah. When we're recording <laughs> this, it is December. So yeah. therefore, it's not that far away. Um, no. But we, I have to say, like, you guys do such an amazing job. And it's so nice that there are groups of people out there who are, doing things to make the experience better and to kind of inform the doctors change the the way of thinking around fnd that you guys are making such a big ripple effect it's really appreciated um so i just wanted to sort of say that so that i feel like it needs to be said but well done and thank you so much for all that you're you well, are thank doing. you i'll make sure I'll, uh, I'll pass all that information on um it's nice to me know that what we're doing is is working and people in the community are do appreciate it because there's a lot of work that goes into it oh no and i fully get that and i think it's really hard isn't it when you're when you're working away on things and you put it out you don't always get the feedback back from people and yeah. like, oh, that might have been a complete flop or that might have been amazing but i can't i haven't got anything back to know so i will i will tell it for the people i've spoken to but thank you so much it is really appreciated and we can't wait to see what you end up doing in 2023. Oh, I'm all excited. Like, <laughs> oh, I'm just so excited. I'm like, oh, I wonder what I'm going to have. Like, I'm going to have to guess what it might be that you're up to. I guarantee I won't get anywhere near it, but I'll have to sit and have a guess as to what I think you're up to. <laughs> on, a, um, on a personal level, um, I started a Facebook page up um, about 12 months ago. Yeah. So in 2023, for on a personal level, away from the charity, um, I'm going to do some live streams over on Facebook. Oh, wonderful. Which is something a bit different. It's a bit like podcasting. It's you know, very similar to, to what you do yourself. Yeah. Um, but the first one's going to come out in 2023. I'm going to do a live, I'm going to do a live stream on Facebook. And um, it's going to be answering questions, so Q&A questions about FND. Oh, wow. Um, do you, that's do going you... to be... Do you, would you like to share the name of your Facebook page so people can find you? Yeah, definitely. Um, over on Facebook, if you just search in the, you know, the search tab, search F and D and me, you get thumbs up straight away. F and D and me. Yeah. So there, it runs as a podcast. That's the page where we'll be doing all the live streams from. Um, hopefully, going to get guest people in and speak to them, doctors to speak to them as well, speak to all the different kind of people. So we've got quite a few lined up already. So quite interesting. Oh, wow, that's amazing. So stay tuned, everyone, because Matthew's going to amaze us all with her, his live streams on F&D, on uh, F&D and me. That's right, yep. Ah, I got it right. Yes, win. Um, well, that's amazing. Is there anything you want to kind of just finish off with? Any, like, one bit of advice you wish you'd had or anything like that just to end us, end the podcast? Yeah, one bit of advice. Um 
don't don't think of the negatives. That's that's one bit of advice. Don't always think of the negatives. Try. Th- oh, Matthew, you still there? Oh, we might have just lost Matthew. Um, can you still hear me? Oh, there you are. Hello. Yes, I can. All right. Yeah, sorry. One bit of advice I would I would pass on would be don't always think of the negatives. Try yeah. and think of the positives. Yeah. Sometimes in life can throw negatives at you in every aspect of life. Mm. And that's quite difficult to deal with. We're just trying to turn it on its head. And if you can think of one positive in a day, you're winning. Yeah. yeah. And it could be something really small. It doesn't have to be, you know, that you climbed a mountain. It, it could yeah. just be that actually you you got dressed that day or you had breakfast that day. Like it could be something like that. That, exactly. is, yeah. that is perfectly acceptable and still wonderful that that has happened so I think there's there's always that thing when people say like oh think of the positives in my mind I go but I haven't done anything like outstandingly amazing today I'm like well no I actually got out of bed today yeah I, 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 got, I got dressed in weather appropriate clothes today like yeah I carried a cup of tea it doesn't have to be this earth shattering big thing it can just be those really small building blocks exactly. and that's okay yeah um, but yeah, no, that's a really good bit of us. Thank you so much, Matthew, for coming on and for sharing so much with us. It is really appreci- uh, appreciated. Um, and I would imagine it took a lot of courage for you to be able to do it. So thank you so much. No problem um, at all. It's been lovely talking to you again. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. <laughs> um, and stay tuned, guys, for the next episode. See you later. Bye.